Bubble bubble banter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bubble bubble banter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Bible Banter, everybody. I wrote that jingle for the show. Um, it's That's literally the worst thing I've ever heard. That 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 that's even maybe worse than me. My my kids wrote us or they wrote a song in their heads on the way home from church on Sunday. And it was about Bojangles because they wanted Bojangles for lunch. And the whole song is Bojangles makes your butt jangle. Let's get some Bojangles. That was better than what I just heard. <laughs> Welcome, <laughs> welcome to Bible Banter, everybody. Uh, we've got Luke and Eric, and we've got a good friend of mine by the name of Jim Lee, and we're going to be talking to him today. We're excited to do that. But before we introduce Jim and get into our topic today, we're going to let Eric uh, pitch some things. Go. Oh, I'm pitching anything. You're making me sound like a salesperson. I'm not a salesperson. Hey, but we do want to let people know that if they want to support the podcast, well, first, you can see the people scrolling at the bottom of your screen. They are Banter Club members in the second and third tier, the veterans and the VIPs. And they get special access to a couple of different things. But one of the things they get access to, which is still available to you, um, one, we are giving away this premium ESV Bible, which is a collector's edition. I can't really get it on the screen. Um, we're giving that away. And in fact, when we started this giveaway, we said uh, once we hit 15 subscribers, we're going to randomly draw a name. Uh, right now, we're at four subscribers, four Banter Club members. So we're going to decrease that to 10. So once we hit 10, we're going to raffle it off. And secondly, um, this Thursday, because it marks as close to the first month of us having the Banter Club open as possible, we're going to give away a free book to one of the three members of the veteran you can see him at the bottom. So it's either going to be Moose McLaughlin, uh, Jess Rice, or Matt Rice. Uh, one of them will win this book by one of my favorite authors, Joe Thorne, um, called Experiencing the Trinity. It's actually been an incredibly impactful book for me as someone who has struggled with depression through much of their life. Um, it is something where he outlines for us in that text um, the importance of a Trinitarian understanding of God, but also how the Trinity applies to our spiritual life. It is an incredible book. Now, I say that to say, if you subscribe between now and Thursday, you're entered to win both of these books. And all you have to do is be a member for a single month. So you can try it out, check the things out on, out on there, see the After Hours podcast, see the material that we've posted on there um, for our banter club members and if uh you don't like what you see that's fine you only gotta be a member for a month and if you are if you subscribe as a veteran or a vip you get access or, or you get entered to win these books so and as we mentioned before for the time being every penny that you uh, give is really just going to recouping costs so you are helping make the show better uh by helping us to pay for some equipment and some programs that make the show great. Boom. Trying to make Bible banter great again. That's that. That's actually the slogan that Luke uh, wanted to put forward. I didn't think it was wise, but I went with it anyway. We try not to get political on this show. Well, uh, before we bring in Jim, uh, Eric and I always like to start the show a little light and fluffy. So I think today we're playing a game called Book Titles. Why don't you explain the game, Eric? So we are going to assign a book title a book that's already in existence to describe 
Um, it, it, so if Luke were to be, if there was a book written about him, what would the title of that book be using a title of a book that's already been written mm. and vice versa? So I did not have time for, to prepare as far as one for Jim. Uh, so I'm going to be, I'm, my answer for Jim is going to be really weak, but my answer for Luke, it, I guarantee is going to be off the chain. I got All it. Right. Well, you, why don't you go first since you're so well, no, you go first. I, I, you know, save the best for last. Okay. Um, my, uh, my name for Jim book, book about Jim, and it has to be a pre-existing book, right? I yeah. Can't just, yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm not making one up. This is a book that already exists. I'm going to go with Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> and then, Why? Uh, Why? And then for Eric, uh, <laughs> Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> wow, that's weak, man. Super weak. <laughs> Super weak. Jim, do you got anything? You, you got anything off the top of your head? Yeah. I was uh, looking at a book title right here uh, by Tony Evans for uh, Luke, and it's What a Way to Live. And I think that after seeing Luke and his wife and his three kids and his dog, what a way to live. Oh, my word. What a way to live. Neighbor of mine as well. Uh, Eric, for you, which I don't know you real well, but uh, I would say uh, – this is this is tongue in cheek, the holiest of all by Andrew Murray. <laughs> Color me flattered. <laughs> well, check this. Uh, this is what I'm going to do for anybody who's watching right now. I want you to uh, throughout the show. You can give. I, I want you to provide a book title for one of the three of us or all three of us. And whoever has the best one, we'll look at it at the end of the show, Luke, and we will vote on which name we think is the best of the book, and they will win a copy of Dangerous Calling by Paul David Tripp. I had a, I just looked at my, I just looked at my library. I had an extra copy of it that's not been used. Um, he's a tremendous author. It's a great book, uh, particularly yes. on ministry. So if you're not in ministry, I encourage you to read it and then give it to your pastor for them to read. Um, my, uh, interestingly enough. Jim, I would title a book after your life, Dangerous Calling, because uh, you have lived a life in ministry, fearless of, of what the enemy may lay before you, and um, you have truly fulfilled that dangerous calling. Um, Luke, the book title that I would give to you for your life is Night of the Living Dummy. <laughs> <laughs> that's rl stein i believe <laughs> do you that's good do you, do you see mcgee offering his name in the hat for best title <laughs> i resent that remark daniel and you will not be getting the book <laughs> i don't care if there's no other suggestions dan's not getting it Hold on. Let's let's be clear. You already established the rules that we'd be voting at the end of the show. So if Jim and I vote for Dan's answer, he is going to win. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd like to hear what the audience thinks of our of our, I, you know, of what we thought. But anyway, um, 
So any, is anything else before we get into the meat of the show today? Yeah, I just got a text from from my older sister who she's uh, she often watches the show. And she made a comment uh, last week. I think I didn't wear a hat for one of the episodes. My sister sent me a picture, like a screenshot of, of the show and said, I-, I swear your forehead has gotten bigger since the last time I saw you. And then she just texted me, are you wearing a hat today? Because I called you out for your big forehead last week. I, I, would, I would like to teach your sister a 21st century term that would be helpful for her in the future. It's the five head. The five head. Yes. Okay. You don't have a four head. You have a five head. I'll tell you what, also, if COVID lasts any longer, I'm going to have a six head. <laughs> uh, also, McGee had a shot until he suggested I'm related to Kenneth Copeland. So now he is, in fact, out of the running. No, I think that's wonderful. Ah. I, you know, I've always thought, you know, <laughs> you definitely come across as prosperity. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, with, yeah. With the uh, with the uh, insinuations of heresy out of the way, let's go ahead and welcome our guest today. <laughs> this is uh, Brother Jim Lee. Jim has been a pastor in the Advent Christian denomination for over 40 years. Uh, and what, 41 of them now have been at Calvary Advent Christian Church? Do I have that right? Wow. 40, 43 in July. Wow. So 40, 43 years at Calvary Advent Christian Church. And we... um. Why are we naming a book? Ah, well, we played a game at the beginning of the show, Brian, where each of us assigned uh, a book titled to the others that sort of represented their life. Uh, and there were some pretty clever answers and then some not so clever ones that Eric offered. So no, no, no. I think I, I think I won. I if, think- if you would like to win a free book, then you, all you have to do is post the name of whoever you're suggesting the book title for and then the book title. But the one rule is it has to be an existing book. So you can't just make up a title. It has to be a title of an existing book. Uh, speaking of books, one one of the things you should know about Jim, he is a bookworm. Jim, is it how, how many thousands of books do you now have in your personal library? Is it up to six or seven thousand? I'd say probably about probably about six, probably about six thousand, I guess. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in that. I like I like reading different things, but probably nonfiction Christian. Uh, and I do like uh, uh, history and uh, current events. So a good number of my books up in the uh, parsonage are in the, in the areas of history and uh, political science. I was a history major, political science minor, along with theology at Aurora. So uh, my love for uh, reading history, current events, uh, political science, and nonfiction Christian, I uh, those that's my heart i i'm not a big fic- fiction reader uh uh very little uh and i don't know why that is but i never really got into fiction reading much yeah. uh, through the years jim, so jim considering you you have such a a breadth of study and that you have read so many books and you have such a passion for reading uh, i'm assuming godly authors and things that point you to christ in so many different ways um, do you find it at least a little disconcerting that uh, that our venerable co-host here, Luke, only has about 10 books on his bookshelf and they all seem to be the same ones? Yeah, and especially if you look at the titles, Go, Go Sally Run or See Dick Run. <laughs> or Dick Run. Uh, I'm, I'm glad Luke is making progress in his education and his reading, but uh, it'll be a little bit more or so here in these next few uh, years so. All right. We'll get tired of stuff. 
I think I think it's enough of that. I'll uh I'll let the two of you bond over your literacy later. For now, let's get into the 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 goal of the show, which is to talk to Jim about discipleship, and I'm sure we'll sort of the the conversation will broaden. But I want to start fairly narrow and talk to Jim specifically about the discipleship of vocational ministers, because um, one of the amazing things about Jim's ministry, and uh, this is this is where Jim's going to have to uh, uh, set aside a bit of his humility and acknowledge some of the success that the Lord has given him. We'll give God the glory for it, but we do need to acknowledge it. Jim, how many vocational ministers have you trained at this point? Is It's like six or seven, isn't it? Yeah. Um, currently, um, Bob Hodges was the first one. Bob came out of our church, and uh, Bob is retired now. Yeah, actually, he's serving somewhat in his home church, uh, First Advent Christian Church here in Lenore, uh, just uh, helping out in uh, Wednesday night Bible study. But Bob was the first one. And uh, Bob was a furniture worker, uh, just really sensed a call in the ministry in his late 40s and was able to uh, pastor for well over 30 years in the conference here. Uh, the second one, I'm, I sometimes get mixed up, but uh, uh, David Blythe was, is our second one. And David came from Rhode Island, moved down here and worked for NEPCO uh, from Rhode Island and had actually... An Advent Christian connected his uh, their pastor's wife was uh, Advent Christian from Rhode Island. I, I'm not sure which one of the churches there, but David and Lynn actually came to our church. Uh, I, I, I baptized both them and their sons. David started filling in for me, and then he went in to the pastorate. Has been out in Beaver Creek Church, which is out in uh, Wilkes County, just not too far from here. He's been out there close to 20 years. Um, Daniel McGee, whom both you guys know, Daniel actually grew up in our church, uh, really sensed the call in the ministry when his father was uh, battling uh, liver disease and his father had li a liver transplant when Daniel was really uh, uh, dealing with this call. And uh, fortunately, uh, the Lord uh, healed Daniel's dad and he's uh, been uh, uh, living with a new liver for the past 20 years, which has been wonderful. And uh, during that time, Daniel really uh, sensed that call and uh, pastored in uh, Gastonia for a little while and then uh, came here to Lenore and was associate at uh, Lenore Community Church and now is pastor there. Uh, Jerry Burnett uh, was also out of our church and Jerry uh, pastored out of Beaver Creek Church out in the country, uh, Draco community for uh, close to 10 years. And Norm Sherwood, who is actually my uh, old, our oldest daughter's uh, father-in-law, uh, Norm pastors out at Confidence Church. Uh, he's been out there about 14 or 15 years. And currently, uh, we have two young men, uh, uh, Brandon Thomas, who is uh, licensed in the conference and works at uh, Samaritan's Purse. He's an associate pastor. And then uh, Josh uh, Polk, who is a uh, fourth grade teacher here in Lenore and is an associate pastor. And both of these uh, uh, men are, uh, Brandon's licensed by the conference and uh, uh, Brandon has his ordination. So, so it's right at seven and we've had, you know, some other people that have been connected with our church through the years that have actually gone in to some aspects of ministry, but those seven uh, have been in pastoral. So that's been uh, 
really yeah. uh, kind of a neat thing. So, yeah. yeah and, and, and just and just to be clear, for the sake of our audience, in case they didn't catch this, every single one of those men, not one of them was uh, had had the intention of entering ministry. Not a right. single one of them was trained in the seminary or 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 was hired by Jim's church as a pastor. Every single one of these guys was just a, a layperson, just a congregant. And then mm-hmm. over the years, um, Jim came alongside them, obviously uh, was able to identify some gifting there, was able to, and then walked them through calling and through training and through equipping. And then the, the part that I love the most is the sending. I love the fact, Jim, that you send your best guys to other churches. Be, because our selfishly, I think our sort of our instincts sometimes are, Okay, well, we have we have this leader who's trained and equipped and called. And so now we're going to use him here. But but that's um, that's uh, not not to say that you should never do that. There's obviously it's great to train and equip your leaders and to have them minister to your congregation. But, um, uh, you know, of these seven guys, two of them are still at your church fairly young. But the other five all went off and pastored other churches or are pastoring other churches. Um, and so you sent your best guys somewhere else. And I, I love that. I love the spirit of that. I think, well, thank you, Luke. Uh, I think one of the things that was impressed upon me early on was that when you do this, um, when, when, you know, the Lord, you know, shows you this in the scripture, it's very obvious that the ones that were sent uh, were, were basically going out and they had a laying on of hands, of, you know, for them. And then they went out for ministry away from the church. As much as we miss these families and miss these this leadership, I, I think it's imperative for us to understand that the churches where these guys went to uh, were smaller churches uh, for the most part. And they were churches that did not have maybe pastoral leadership at the, at the time. And a lot of them can't afford, say, a, a full-time minister. And so these guys really came up at times that were crucial for the life of these churches where they've served. And uh, and, and, and in the case of a couple guys, uh, they were a- actually able to uh, maybe finish up the work at that place. And then somebody else came and followed them. But, you know, in the case of uh, David and Norm, who are still involved, they're, they're still involved in the ministry and they've been able to retire from their main jobs. And now they can be devoting full time to their uh, pastorate. So, so there's a lot of cool things about this that the Lord is. Uh, the timing was crucial, I think, for these churches and uh, I think that uh, they, they're, they're supplying a need in these churches. Whereas, uh, uh, like one of us, you know, we would probably need uh, um, maybe another job or to support our family. Uh, there might not be a parsonage. There might not be those things. And so I think it's really key that these guys came in and were able to really help these churches in a great time. So, Wow. So, Jim, I think you kind of hit on something that is incredibly important. And at least when I first read the scriptures, I, I noticed something. And, and it seems like you might have noticed the same thing, that the faith in the church is inherently um, operating from a posture that is offensive. And I don't mean like offensive, although the gospel is offensive, but you're taking it, you're taking the fight to the enemy instead of allowing the enemy to take the fight to you in that you're raising up leaders within the local church. And I imagine, again, maybe we'll touch on this, 
that if you are raising these leaders up in your own church and sending them off, that you're also raising up other leaders within your church. So this offensive nature of, of going on the offense, uh, almost like a running gun style type of game plan, that it, it in, in inevitably strengthens your church by sending your best leaders elsewhere. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a good point, Eric. And I, I think that's exactly what's happened because we found that in a case of, you, you, know, you don't really necessarily replace these people but other people are raised up by the Lord and they end up coming here. And we've been very fortunate through the years to be able to maintain not only with our, uh, uh, with people that are called into the ministry, but in pastoral ministry or, or preaching the word, but also we have seen that God has raised up people in regards to our music. We've had some wonderful people here lead our music, and then they maybe moved off to another place where they come to this church. But then the Lord raised up other individuals uh, within uh, our midst, and uh, we we're very thankful right now to have a wonderful music program. Uh, we've had a wonderful music program through the years, and God's done that all across the board, uh, not only in ministry, pastorally and uh, preaching-wise, but also in the ministry of music and youth and those types of things. And and I think it is important that we realize that uh, taking the offensive is uh, really uh, what we need to do now. Because I think when I grew up in, the, in, in my earlier years in the ministry, and perhaps even growing up in the 60s uh, when I was you know, first called and in school, uh, the church was very passive. And I think the church was uh, uh, pretty silent when it came to issues that they needed to be a demonstrative on, especially proclaiming the gospel, uh, I think we became uh, entrenched in kind of a, a quote-unquote social gospel, which I basically grew up in a church like that, and the gospel wasn't really proclaimed that much. And so therefore, when I came into the Advent Christian Church, I really was just so impressed with the very fact that uh, I truly believe our denomination was founded on the gospel, and, and the preaching was there. But like so many other denominations, we you know got involved in so many other things, and really I think that there was a, kind of a forgetting of the gospel and preaching it uh, faithfully through the years, and that's why I'm more encouraged now uh, by the other guys that are coming up that put the emphasis on on the gospel, on on you know the saving power of Jesus Christ, and and pointing to Him instead of pointing to ourselves as being the solution to our time, and I think that's what I saw. Uh, for so many years and the kind of the silence of the church and it, it was deafening and now I'm starting to see some life in it but I think too we see the devil working overtime to destroy the church and I think to your point it's important that we are uh, sending out people and and raising up people and watching God do that uh, I don't take any credit for these people because they are truly called of God and I was there and help them along at a crucial time in their life. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. But God did all the raising up and all that. And that's what he's still doing. And I pray he'll do that until, you know, I conclude my ministry here at Calvary. So now, now here, I'd like to interject something real quick. Uh, I, I just want to testify to the fact that this is, in fact, the way that Jim views ministry. I can say that from personal experience, because before the virus and the shutdown and uh, all the craziness that came with that. 
I was actually meeting with Jim pretty regularly just as a mentor. And um, I can remember, I don't know if you remember this, Jim, but I remember at one point along the way, I asked you, why are you doing this? Because if you look at it, 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 like if your job is just based on your little C church rather than the big C church, right? The, the, the body of Christ, which um, it, it goes far beyond the four walls of your building or the constraints of your congregation. If you're, but if you look at it within those limits, you spending time with me and sort of hearing about my struggles and sharing your wisdom does absolutely nothing, at least directly, to benefit, quote unquote, your church. Um, and yet that like, I remember you, I don't know if you, you remember me asking the question, but I remember your answer uh, where you said that this is what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. Like the Lord has put me in this place at this time with all this experience. So what, what else am I supposed to be doing with it? But to be raising up, uh, you know, other young pastors. But I, I just want to point out that this is, um, not only have you raised up people from within your own church and then sent them to other churches, but you've given of your time and, and your resources to raise up pastors and churches that aren't yours, um, which to me is just, it's, it's kingdom thinking, right? Uh, I, I think of some of the guys who I worked under the past 10 years who are part of other denominations and the ways that they invested in me. And I think if you were to take a narrow view of ministry as being about my church or even just about my denomination, um, those guys wasted their time because I'm not part of their you know, affiliations anymore. But because they had this mindset of the big K kingdom and the big C church, they don't view their investment in me as a waste of time because they're more concerned about the gospel than they are about their organizations. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's that's right on. And I I I feel like I'd love to see our guys or the people I talk to, you know, come into our denomination because I think we have a lot to offer. But on the other hand, if if somebody goes in another direction in regards to uh, another denomination or a parachurch work or something like that, uh, I don't view that as a lesser thing. Uh, to your point. It's all the kingdom of God, and and when we get into that kingdom, you know, He's not going to ask us, you know, what what which way did you come or how did you come, but that you're here. And for me to take time to do that, uh, I want to give you know credit to the church because they have allowed me uh, time, and and I and and to be honest with you, I I, I determine time uh, is valuable in those areas. Uh, and they let me do that, and they've always kind of let me do that because I think they see the kingdom themselves as m- much more than the Advent Christian denomination or uh, some parachurch organization or something like that, but they see it wholly, and that's why I, I, I really want to, I guess, impress not only upon our church, but upon the guys that, you know, that I talk to and, and work with, mentor, disciple, whatever, and that this is a greater work. And, you know, if you look at Revelation in the crowd that's there, it's of all nations, of all people, of all tribes and everything like that. It's not people from Lenore or people from uh, uh, over in Benson or anything like that, but it's people from all over the world. And I and I, I just enjoy being with people that are of like and precious faith. And, and it's like the Holy Spirit gives you that uh, sense, like this person right here, 
has got some giftedness and, and that's what the you know, Holy Spirit has been showing me through the years with these people and uh, it, it's been wonderful. I can honestly say it's been wonderful, but it is, like you said, a much grander view than a narrow view. And I think that, you know, uh, it's it's been a privilege to do this and I still enjoy doing it. I still, I still love doing it and, and perfectly will continue on as long as possible. So That's great. I have, because I think all too often we talk about discipleship, whether it's discipling people into ministry or discipling them in the church to, to grow in Christ. And we don't talk about the nitty gritty. Um, and I once had, I was once in a meeting where I heard an elder say, I just don't know how I'm supposed to disciple somebody. And it grieved me. It grieved mm -hmm. me um, totally. So, um, Jim, how do we disciple someone? What, how how would you how would you um, counsel such a brother? And that's and that's an important question. I would say that the one thing is, first of all, it's in, it's intentional. Um, the Lord gives you certain people, and it, it's like the Lord is saying, the singling out an individual and saying, "This is a person you need to invest time in," or "This is a person that you need to." Um, spend time with because they have an interest in deeper things of the Lord. They have an interest in the word. They have an interest in uh, being a, a, a difference in where they work or where they're going to school or whatever. And so therefore it's like, you know, the Jesus chose 12 and it's like the Lord, you know, gave me uh, these guys that I've been able to work with in, in ministry. Plus, as you said, people in the church, and so I've, what I found myself doing was, you know, scheduling lunch appointments with uh, these people, uh, sitting down with them, talking to them about their daily life, what they do, how they're doing it, uh, how the Lord comes into those things uh, in regards to their workplace, uh, uh, living out the scripture, uh, what frustrations they find in where they're working or what they're doing. Uh, maybe some questions they would have in regards to their relationship to the Lord or those types of things. And so, you know, you realize it's going to take time and best time in those people. And so therefore, you know, you realize there's some things that are going to have to go and, and, you know, you have to determine what's going to go in regards to, you know, taking time with these people. And sometimes, you know, it might be personal time or whatever, but I've, I found that, you know, the Lord will just kind of bring you along the way and, to the questions that she asked. And I think asking questions is a very, very key thing. And I think listening is a very key thing. And so uh, as people go along, and I'm, I'm still discipling people, I feel uh, one guy right now is changing job directions and, and he always calls me up and asks me, you know, to have lunch with him or sit down and pray with him about these things. And, and so this guy is in his late 50s and taking a step in life that's different than he's ever done. And I think that it's important for me to help him in this job change and pointing him to the scriptures, Proverbs, some of these other uh, verses that uh, speak about the wisdom of God, how he's going to go about this, how it's going to relate to his wife, his children, grandchildren, that type of thing. So I th I, getting back to my original point, it's intentional and it takes time. Mm -hmm. And I think you find that time, you know, whenever they're available. And a lot of times you have to work around their schedules, that type of thing. But I think the important thing is, is showing them that 
God is interested in the deeper things of our lives, that we can, we go deeper with him, uh, he can go deeper with us. And yes. so for a lot of these people are in places where they can minister uh, in their workplace and, and really be a, a difference in their workplace or in their school. Yeah. I feel like I, I want to continue this conversation. I think there's some comments that would be worth um, just mentioning. Brian talking about uh, watering things down. I assume he's talking about teaching or, or theology there. Uh, I thankfully I, I I can't I can't speak for the church at large, but I I feel very privileged in that um, I have not had much of that experience in the churches where I've been raised. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's not a problem at large, um, but I, I guess I can just thank the Lord for pastors and for teachers who took scripture and theology seriously. I, I really appreciate Palma's comments about um, uh, taking opportunities to disciple, even if they might be short-lived. I think this is one of the difficult, and maybe Eric, yes. you could speak to this a little bit too, and I'm, I'm sure Jim could. I think that's one of the things that I'm learning now is that if you make the effort to disciple, um, you're, you're, there's not always a guarantee that, that that person you disciple is going to stick to that, even if you make the effort, sometimes it, either because it could be just a practical thing, like they have to move away. Well, uh, Luke, you, um, I know Palma is, uh, she's one of your congregants, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, and her husband was a prior pastor to, to you. So, um at your church so were they because i i believe i thought i read that we have an advent christian church down in the fayetteville area i'm just wondering was he the mm -hmm. pastor there at a time and if so mm -hmm. you know i i've long mm -hmm. thought about this fort bragg um for those of you who aren't um overly familiar with the military um fort bragg considers itself the center of the army universe um mm -hmm. <laughs> it is it is the sun and everything revolves around them um, you have at Fort Bragg, um, the, the U.S. military's most powerful fighting force, um, and you have the um, uh, multiple special forces units there uh, for, for the U.S. Army. You also have the 82nd Airborne, which is our uh, premier airborne um, operations unit in the military. Um, they can get anywhere. They, they always have a unit on standby in which they can get anywhere. Uh, on earth within 18 hours how incredible is that right like they it is phenomenal but with that said you have the opportunity i don't know how many soldiers presently are on there but you have the opportunity in ministering to that population the ability mm -hmm. to see them literally ripped from your congregation and go be mm -hmm. a, an ambassador elsewhere a minister of the gospel so they're going to be ripped away at a moment's notice. You could see them on Sunday, expect to see them on Wednesday in Bible study, and they are in the middle of Bosnia, right? So you just have no idea. Um, yeah. So so it's all so you have to be aggressive in your in your discipleship there. I'm assuming. Um, so. So we have to look at the opportunities that we have wherever God has placed us and see these, op these opportune places. So we look at Fort Bragg. This is a huge opportunity for us to have. Um, I know of you know, other places, many of our churches, and we're not the only denomination that's done this, but because we're so small, most of our churches at one time um, were in the city but moved out of the city, right? And I think that that's probably one of the most damning things that we can 
um, really charged against any denomination, including our own, that um, kind of as the minorities poured into the cities, all the white people left. And um, now <laughs> white people are moving back into the cities as well. Um, but we've lost our foothold in many of those places. Not that we're trying to reach white people, but we've sold our buildings, lost our ministry and our footprint there. And now the, the kind of the vogue thing to do is to plant churches within these communities. Why? It's because the, the cities and these large towns um, like Fort Bragg or the Fayetteville area, like Worcester, Massachusetts, for an example, second largest city in New England, um, where we don't necessarily have a thriving ministry. These are places where people are coming from around the world. And we have the opportunity to, to disciple them um, into knowing Christ and then, you know, be, be in the process and guiding them into growth in Christ. And now they can go off wherever it might be, whether it's in their home country or home state. And now they can be disciple makers as well. Yeah. And, and to bring it back to the, the point that Pama made, I think, um, I, th I think if we're going to take this attitude of we are disciple makers, that obviously, like Jim was saying, we want to be in it for the long haul. But I think you also have to be able to make peace with seasons where there may be certain mm -hmm. people or families that you have a, a very limited or short opportunity to disciple. And just because they leave, um, that, that wasn't wasted time. Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to speak to... Uh that point in two ways. Uh, I was pastor at Charleston, Avenue Christian Church in Charleston, South Carolina from 72 to 77. That was my first pastorate. And that was a military town. And I remember uh, having uh, a number of military in our church and uh, the transition that you were talking about uh, was very, very frustrating. Um, I think that uh, the one thing we realized that we have, we had these people that were coming that were on submarines, they were out three months, they were in three months, and you were basically uh, ministering to people that might be there for two years or four years, whatever. And that that's a difficult ministry. And uh, it's, it's a ministry in which you realize you might have these people for a, a certain period of time. And so, like I said earlier, you invest in those people, but perhaps in a different way, like you were saying, Eric, that you realize that these people are going to hopefully be other places and you're equipping them uh, for further ministry in other places, but you're giving them as much as you can in that one place. And, mm -hmm. and I hate to tell you this, but um, the Charleston church uh, closed a number of years ago. And we, you know, it was a sad thing for me to see that church closed, but they have uh, started a new church. Uh, I think up in the Somerville area, which was about 30 miles out of Charleston, we had people actually coming from Somerville to our church and uh, they have a young guy up there that is actually, I think, ministering up in that area, which is a tremendously growing area of Charleston. And uh, military is still there. The Air Force Base is still there. Uh, they closed the Naval Base there. But I remember in particular, we used to have some uh, people would come to our church that were on submarines and we'd have them over for lunch. Uh, they, were, they were people not too much uh, uh, really young, uh, they were about our age, maybe a little bit younger, and we were able to minister to these people. And uh, I think I think in, in the military where it is so hard and they're looking for home, uh, when you open up your, your church and it's like a home to them, like you open up the parsonage and you say, you know, please come over and 
let's let's eat a meal together or whatever that that becomes very very important and i think along with that the whole idea of college students being i know a lot of our churches are not near college communities uh but boone up there in the mountains where we were talking about earlier we have an avid christian church that sits right next door to appalachian state university a university of twenty-five thousand. and so i think one of the goals of the church up there is to be reaching out into that um, particular university uh, our our two daughters our two son-in-laws graduated from there a tremendous area for ministry and uh, and so along like with the military you also open up your church for discipleship in regards to uh, um, college students and I remember at Aurora when I was there Sunday night they didn't offer a meal at the college but the church opened up their facility and fed the college students uh, anybody who wanted to come over, they fed us a meal. And I thought that was so cool for that church to do that. That was in back in 67 to 72. And for them to do that, knowing that the college students, whether they were a member of the church or not, they had a meal available. The other thing I want to mention too is, uh, to your point, Eric, back in the oh, 2008, 2009, the economic downturn uh, that hit, our area here was a furniture factory and a lot of people were in furniture and, and that type of thing. And, and a lot of times when you have a one horse town industry, mm. uh, a lot of your young people are gonna go in other directions. And so a lot, we were kind of bracing for the fact that maybe some of our younger people would be moving to larger areas. And so you're looking at you know possibly losing some of the young couples of your church, young families of the church. And so discipleship becomes that much more important to make, make sure that they're equipped to go to where they're going to go, you're going to—it's going to impact the church. But I can honestly tell you, it didn't impact us like we thought it might, and we were very fortunate that pretty much everybody stayed in the area, and we were able to maintain our our church life pretty much the way it was. But I think in cases where there's an economic downturn in an area and younger families are moving out, I think churches have to look at that in regards to short-term discipleship versus uh, you know the long-term. So. Well, and this really goes to, you know, the importance of, of you know, Jim, you talking about being in a, in a college town or even in a military town is that we're, we're looking at things, I think, you know, where Paul went and where the other apostles went in the first century to get the gospel out were the places that were, were the people were. They didn't go to the suburbs. They went into the city because they knew that if you get into the city, things will go out from there. So you want to go where the, the greatest population is so that you can share the gospel with as many people as as possible because you don't know. I mean, Jim, you, you've been in the ministry for 40 plus years. Um, that's longer than Luke and I have been alive. Um, so I combined. think com, combined. <laughs> no, no, not combined. <laughs> We're, um, yeah, you're young, which is not that young. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, that that's an incredibly long time, but I know, like, I know just theologically that when you share the gospel with someone, you don't know if they're going to come to Christ or not. You don't know if they're going to believe. But the law of averages will tell yeah. you that the more people you share the gospel with, the greater chance you have you're casting more lines out there in the fishing of men. So right. go to the places where there are the most people to share the gospel and that those individuals can now share the gospel as they go into their towns and in their cities. So you're right, and, and that's a good point. And I think around here, where there was perhaps some stagnancy, you know, we've seen some growth down towards Hickory, which is, uh, 
you know, the city below us, about 15 miles. And really, that's where the population has grown. And, and to me, I've always thought, and we were actually looking at years ago about the possibility of planting a church down there. It never happened because of finances and different things. But, you know, you're right. It's, it's where people are congregating and you see these new developments uh, being built and that, that type of thing. And, and you realize that this is a great opportunity for the church uh, to move in uh, in an area where people are moving in. And, you know, uh, I, can, I can honestly say that I, I look at different places around the area that have really grown. Uh, those are places where really I wish we had an Advent Christian presence. Mm-hmm. Um, we have not been in the city. Uh, I, I, I know I have a history with the denomination long enough to realize that we have really missed out on inner city ministry. And I think that's something that we really need to pray about and, to, you know, seek direction in because I feel like, you know, you look at Charlotte being the, a major uh, city in the country and we, that's where our headquarters are and we've got two churches down there, but they're in just one section of town, you know, they're not in other sections. And so therefore, where you look at the uh, population growth and those types of things and, and, and developing uh, church planters. Now, for me, uh, church planting would be a real uh, challenge, but I think for some young guys, uh, you know, Josh, our own Josh has expressed an interest in church planting. And I think for some guys, this is right up their alley. And I think it's really, really important now nowadays uh, that we do plant churches because we're in so many remote dying areas that those churches will close and we need to be on the uh, cutting edge of where people are moving and where they're going to be and all that. So, uh, Jim, I think we need to take collectively as a denomination a, a page out of your playbook, which is to look at the gospel as uh, moving on the offensive. And, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, the, the church planting movement is something that is an offensive measure, um, you know, comes from a posture where we're trying to take the fight to the enemy. Uh, e- even still, you know, along with church planting is revitalizing some of our churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, Palma had just shared that, you know, the, the churches that were at Fort Bragg or around Fort Bragg is an example. Some of them have dwindled in numbers. One of them is closed and, and whatnot. But those are you know, potential opportunities to revitalize and say, listen, we have the greatest treasure on earth. We have the greatest gift. We serve the most powerful God in the universe, the creator of all things, the one who gives life. Um, now let's go tell people about it and, right. and build them up in the Lord. One of the things in talking about um, where your pastors come from, uh, I read a book or read two books actually and i can't i can think of the name of the one of them but the other one is is escaping me but there's a book entitled next n-e-x-t don't know the guy's name that wrote it but he was talking about how churches need to look at pastoral leadership where they're going to get it from and they were talking about getting it from the outside and um then one section talked about the importance of and probably in the best interests of a church, if they have the ability to get their pastoral leadership from within inside the church itself and to develop that type of ministry within where you're training your own and that type of thing. And they were talking about the advantages of that. And, and, it's, and it's certainly there. It's, it's, it's not rocket science that you've got people that know the church and they, and, you know, some people say, well, they're, you know, maybe they're, they got some of the bad aspects of the church, but 
I think if they're called in the ministry, they're going to see bad and good and all whatever. But mm-hmm. the the whole issue of trust is so important. Uh, I don't know what it is now, but it used to be they said that a pastor had to be in a church at least four years uh, to uh, develop the trust level of the church uh, and plus the church for the pastor. I know in the Methodist church I grew up in, that's the mainstream church, when I grew up, pastors were in and out in two years. They, they moved them every two years. And so therefore, growing up, I had three or four or five different pastors. I had one youth pastor that was there four years. And so I, I really felt closer to him than I did the main pastors there. So when you look at staying in a church for 43 years, that's a long time. But on the, on the positive level, the trust level is really good. And I can honestly say, I don't want to go out here and, and, and spend uh, $50,000 on a, on a new car and charge it to the church. But I think the trust level of what the church sees me uh, doing in regards to discipling this type of thing, the church views it as valuable. And uh, my time I've spent with ministers like Luke and some of the other guys, that's valuable. And whoever it is, it's valuable. And so therefore, I think the trust level from the get-go is very, very important. Uh, and I think when the church really sees they, they can trust you, and, and granted, there's going to be fallings uh, of, of pastoral leadership. There's going to be, uh, you know, things that are just of the devil. But I think for the most part, we're, we're kind of like the police department. You know, they get a lot of criticism when something happens. But you know, for the most part, most of those police guys are great guys. And I got a nephew who's a policeman who's a, a tremendous policeman, and I, I just appreciate him so much. And so a lot of times, just like anybody else or any other profession, we get slammed because of indiscrepancies by another pastor. And so therefore, I, I think overall, the trust level between a church and a pastor hopefully is good, and it can continue on, and good things could happen as far as time goes, discipling goes, that types of thing. I think the church can trust the pastor that he's using his time well in developing future ministry, uh, developing leadership in the church and that type of thing. And that's that's what I love about Calvary. We're just starting to really see this happening. And I think it's hopefully going to be ongoing. I, Jim, I, I think that's incredible. Go ahead. Uh, Luke, I was going to uh, move towards closing us up. Um, yeah, yeah. I was going to I just want to address Brian, Brian's comment, and then I, I want to let I want to let you close this out here. Okay. Um, oh, and Glenn already beat me to it. Yeah. So uh, uh, Brian's comment. So I, I understand your comment, Eric, about the cities. We see when when Paul is taking the gospel out to uh, you know basically the world. Obviously, he goes to the city centers. Um, you're not. You weren't. That was not a wrong thing to say. I do think Brian has a point here where we shouldn't. Not not that we believe this, but I think sometimes we do talk as though the um, the poor need the gospel and the rich don't. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, when we, when we when we use that kind of language, what we usually mean is the poor recognize their need for the gospel and the rich don't. But I do think we need to be careful sometimes with that kind of language. I, I think Brian does have a point of the. You know, the when when Paul comes to Ephesus, the the first one of the first people he meets is a wealthy business owner, um, who this woman is it Lydia who deals in purple cloth, and so you know it we we preach indiscriminately obviously, um, 
and to to any and all who will listen uh and just I think we should be careful sometimes about assuming that just because someone's part of a certain socioeconomic class, they won't see their need for the gospel. I've met plenty of rich, miserable people, uh, and uh, they they the know. Prophet, the prophet Biggie Smalls once said, "More money, more problems." <laughs> uh, um, I, if we go down this road, we're going to get lost. So I'll, I know, I'll but we, we, uh, Hey, you know, I just want to encourage Brian to go back to some previous episodes that we, you know, we've talked about apologetics. We've talked about, um, you know, I'll tell you, you need theology. You need a deep study of the Bible to understand the hard questions. We've even said a lot of these deconstructionist stories that are out there, you know, um, mm-hmm. individuals that who've left the faith, they go, well, no one was answering my tough questions. Then you hear the tough question, you go, that's actually a pretty easy question. And there's literally thousands of articles and hundreds of books that answer them over the course of the last two centuries. So you just have to, the unfortunate thing is getting them in touch with the right people. So you, yeah. you know, um, read anything by, by Tim Keller, read it, you know, um, oh, yeah. he will, he will go take you down that road, pick up a good mm-hmm. theology book. Um, you will, you know, get a great foundation of biblical understanding of, of scripture. So, um, but with that said, we typically end with the Blessed Hope Catechism, uh, Jim. But I want to ask, is there anything in particular outside of the scripture? I'm assuming that scripture is part of your discipleship process. Mm-hmm. But is there any, mm-hmm. any other um, work outside yeah. of the Bible that you often use as a roadmap to help lead someone um, in discipleship? Yes, and and this this was a book that was uh, I think I was introduced to when I was in college, but I think all of you are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the cost of discipleship. To me, is really the marching orders uh, for discipleship. If you uh, read anything by Bonhoeffer, and uh, he I am a tremendous uh, fan of his. Um, you know, the, just his whole life and the fact that he was involved in a a, a scheme to assassinate his, Hitler and that always kind of really uh, uh, intrigued me. But the very fact that he talked about cheap grace and about how we are basically uh, people of faith who are willing to suffer with Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think in discipleship, I think we have to tell people it's it's not a bed of roses. It's it's not the easy way through this life, but it's the difficult following of, of, of a savior who was willing and knowingly had to go to the cross and life is like that. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. Uh, even with these guys that I've been uh, talking with through the years and discipling, that's one thing that I try to tell them. It's not easy uh, to be a follower of Christ. And, and, and there's going to be those times that are going to be challenging. And uh, uh, I can't sit here and tell you that there wasn't a time that uh, I wanted. I woke up one Monday morning. And I said, I don't want to be a minister anymore. And that was only, I think, one time. But you know, the thing is this: that I, when when that happened, the Lord just gave me ministry that that day. And He said, Jim, you're discouraged right now, but here's some ministry, and here's what you need to do. Here's these people you need to go to. Here's these people you need to be ministering to. And it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me getting out of the ministry. It was about ministering to those people right in their time of need. And that and that that day went away and I'm here, you know, 40 some years later. So the thing is, importantly, 
a guy like Bonhoeffer who knew what it was about, who was willing to get hung, uh, you know, for the gospel and for the sake of it. I think we need to read those stories of those people who were really willing to lay their lives down, not saying that we have to, but there's going to be times, I think, in this day and time, especially with you guys, what you're facing and all that, that it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. And I think uh, when the scriptures talk about the separation between the sheep and the goats, and I think this might be a time of sifting right now, we got to determine where we're going to be. And people like Bonhoeffer shows me where he was in a very, very difficult time. And I need to keep reading him. And, and guys, like you mentioned, Tim Keller, uh, he's been a, a great influence. Ravi Zacharias, I love his reading. I, got, I met him back in January, right before he had that surgery where they found cancer down at the village. And what a joy it was to meet him. And uh, I, I look at all these writers today who are such an inspiration to me. But uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank you guys for having me on here. I've really been blessed. And uh, I just pray that uh, guys or people listening will realize the importance of discipleship and coming alongside of people who the Lord really is calling and investing in those people's lives. Well, Jim, we, we appreciate you coming on. And the reason I insisted you needed to come on is because you do not just talk the talk. You walk the walk when it comes to this stuff. So thank you for well, your example. Jim, I just thank want you to know that I appreciate you more than Luke does because um, you bring some life and vitality to the podcast, and especially well, brains that is sorely well, lacking with Luke. Well, you know, I live near him, and I try, and I try to uh, go up there and try to inspire him a little bit to get him a little bit. He's, he's pretty boring, really. This neighborhood is pretty boring. And it used to be pretty lively, but when they moved in, it got pretty boring. So, uh, well, so I'm going to try my best to, to get him beyond see Dick run, see Sally jump, and that type of thing. I want to try to do that. Well, I do find it encouraging that you that you offered up Dietrich Bonhoeffer's cost of discipleship because it is a tremendous work um, for the faith. And I don't even think uh, Luke has ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer I, or, the, or the Nazis, for that matter. So he was homeschooled. So... I, I know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, okay? Once. Once. He's dead now. I'm aware. <laughs> uh, I, I do wanna I do wanna make give a quick answer to Brian. We, we obviously can't get into it. Brian, if you're looking for highly technical apologetic answers to atheists, especially when it comes to textual criticism, which you mentioned earlier, Dr. James White. Check out Alpha and Omega Ministries. He gets real deep in the weeds. Good. F.F. Bruce also has a book that's very short. Um, I, the New Testament documents, I believe, is what it's called. You can find it on Amazon, um, somewhere out there on the interwebs. Let's get to the Blessed Hope Catechism and then close up. Jim, do you know who were our first parents? My first parents? Yeah. Who are your first parents? I would probably say uh, Adam and Eve were our first parents, but Noah's family Boom. came in there too. Boom. Man, look at that. You, you're killing it, Jim. Showing up Luke. Who, question 22. Who were our first parents? Adam and Eve. Genesis 3.20 says this. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. I, uh, in my notes, I, I take notes in my catechism, and the note I took on, 
on this question 22 was all have been condemned through one man, Adam, and redeemed by another, Jesus. That's the good news right there. Amen. 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 Um, with that said, we have to we have to give away the the dangerous calling book to who had the best uh, who had the best reference who had the best uh, title for a movie starring uh, one of us. Well, let, let me go ahead and, and read off all the answers here. Okay. Did you write them down? Uh, no, but I've, I've got them here in the comment section. I'll, I'm, okay. I'm just going to scroll and read them. Okay. Um, for Eric, best life now. For uh i think for all of us we are all cannibals um and then i i don't know who he uh, the other one brian listed was santa claus burned as a heretic maybe he was talking about jim because of his white hair <laughs> my fat belly <laughs> i actually i don't know if i don't know if anyone else answered the question i'm gonna be really honest here eric I think the best dancers today came from none other than Jim Lee. I thought his were pretty great. Boom. Jim Lee, you're the winner of this brand new book. Ah, <laughs> oh, right. This first thing I wanted ever wanted in my life. <laughs> uh, although I think it was like, it's not brand new. Well, I mean, it's purchased brand new. There's copyright is 2012. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Eight years ago. Right. So, what this I'll do is, is I'll happen. get your address and mail it to you. This what? is what happens when you when you win prizes on Bible banter. You get books that are ancient. This is <laughs> not ancient, bud. Listen, listen. If you run out of books, if you run out of books, let me know. I'll send you a whole new supply. <laughs> and I got some that go back in the twenties and thirties, where nineteen twenties and thirties. So, and and you know what? To be honest with you, some of those guys that wrote back then really are some of the best writers I've ever read. So, yeah. Guys, you know, like uh, Tozer, R.A. Torres, oh, my word. Spurgeon, oh, my word, yeah. All those. I, I, I don't want to take Jim's prize away from him, but I missed Glenn's answers. Glenn answered the questions. Okay. Okay. Jim, it's taken years to get this old. Eric, how not to get eaten by Ewoks. <laughs> and then Luke, getting a handle on Messiah. Uh, <laughs> you know what, Jim, Jim lost. I go with Glenn. That's better. <laughs> I vote for Glenn. Give Luke the book. We offer you the prize, Jim, just so we can snatch it out from under you. I think Glenn's the winner. Okay, that's it. We give it book. and then we take it away. Yeah, and get and give it to, and and tell Glenn to give the book to Luke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not going to read it. <laughs> yeah. I, Luke are, likes books with pictures in it. I know. Luke <laughs> likes those picture books. <laughs> um, hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us. It was really a pleasure. It was a pleasure having Jim as well. Be sure to subscribe on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts and give us an honest five-star review. And as my son said a few weeks ago, none of those dishonest three-star reviews. That's right. This is a five-star program. That's five exactly all the way. All the way. Academy Awards. <laughs> We're going to get that EGOT someday. All right, guys. Yeah. Everybody have a good day. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.